it, it stretched uh, all through the garden. It had these spindly little vines that went around and in and through the garden um, because it had not been properly tended, nor did it actually produce more than the, the tiniest little grape here and there. And so uh, we have this, this whole garden and this grapevine uh, that, that is clearly not doing what it's supposed to do as a grapevine. So I read up a vines and I went out there at the right season and I pruned that thing down to almost nothing. And uh, when, I, when I did that, I, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the, you're supposed to basically take the grapevine and prune it down until it's almost like a stump. And I, and I thought, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill it. But the next year it, it came out uh, much thicker and more alive than in, in the state that I'd seen it when we first came. Uh, it, its branches were thicker. It, it was growing at an exceptionally rapid rate that season and the next season and the next season. But after several years, it had never actually yielded grapes. And so due to a growing family and a shrinking availability of time, I told Allie one day that I wanted to remove both the garden and the vine. Uh, because we, we couldn't dedicate the time to tending them anymore. And it was making leaf blowing a real pain because there are a, a lot of, um, uh, sorry, I'm getting some background noise here. Uh, if anybody's not muted, could you just take a quick look and, and mute yourselves? I think that would, that would be helpful. Um, I don't seem to have control as I normally would. Uh, sorry about that. So, uh, yeah, so there are a lot of leaves in Park Forest, and to try to blow all around this garden was just taking extra hours of time. So the following year, the next season, that vine got dug up and tossed away. Uh, because even though that vine was very cool to watch grow, it never did produce the fruit that we were hoping for. And so in today's passage, friends, Jesus is going to tell a similar story of a tree that doesn't bear fruit. And what we'll see is that it is not enough for a vine or a tree or a person to simply exist. Each has a purpose for its existence. And if it does, if it does not fulfill its purpose, then it will be judged accordingly. And so in today's text, we'll examine three points together. Number one, God's judgment is imminent. Number two is that God's judgment is warranted. And number three is that God's kingdom is growing. And so um, turn with me, if you haven't already, to Luke chapter 12, and we are going to start in verse 54. Luke 12, starting in verse 54. Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with them on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the official, the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Okay, so Jesus yeah, begins by giving his audience two examples of cause and effect. They see a cloud, and they know that a storm is coming. They see the south wind blowing, and they know it'll be hot. And they... I can uh, see it. 
Sorry, just giving some background noise. They, they, uh, they see the south wind, they know it'll be hot. And in both cases, they see the signs and they interpret the signs and the result is exactly as they expected. But if that's so, Jesus asks, why aren't they interpreting the present time? Jesus then warns them that if you find yourselves guilty and on the way to court, settle with your accuser. Do all you can to make it right because if you wait any longer, judgment is coming and there will be no escape. Again, Jesus is telling his people to open their eyes and see the signs. Signs of what? Uh, of, of the coming judgment. Jesus is effectively waving his hands at his audience and saying, look, you're guilty and you're already on the road to the magistrate. Judgment is coming. It's imminent. It's about to happen. So be quick. Ask now. Settle on the way. There's still time. Now, now Jesus here is not simply speaking of earthly judges and prisons, but he is speaking of God, the judge, the king, whose judgment is always perfect and righteous and good. He will judge the Jew and the Gentile, the man and the woman, the rich and the poor, the one who has sinned a hundred million times and the one who has sinned but once. For all these people, God's judgment is coming. God's judgment is imminent. And Jesus's audience here understood exactly what he meant. And we can see that by what Luke tells us next. God's judgment is warranted. Okay, this is in, uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 13 now. I'm going to read the first 17 verses. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that these were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he, uh, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his, his, his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. 
As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Okay, there are three subsections here, friends, and all three point to the conclusion that God's judgment is warranted. First, just as Jesus was done explaining that God's judgment was imminent, that some there rightly understood him and so pointed out an evidence of that judgment, a particularly gruesome instance in which Pontius Pilate had killed some Jews and mixed their blood with the blood of their ritual sacrifices. This was a tremendous dishonor to those people and shows us just how well the Romans knew how to strike the Jews in the ways that hurt them most. Now, the point uh, that Jesus's listeners were trying to make is, yes, Lord, God's judgment clearly did come upon those Galileans. Look how terrible and shameful an end they faced. Jesus then asks, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than any other Galileans? No, he says, but listen, unless you, all of you, repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, those are shocking words, friends, terrifying words, but he's not done. He likewise brings up an instance in which a tower fell and 18 died, and he then makes the same point again. Do you think those people were any worse than those who were not crushed by that tower? No, but listen, unless you, all of you, repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus is saying here, friends, that God's judgment in these uh, incidents was not a matter of him destroying the sinners while sparing the righteous. No, it was rather a foreshadowing of the coming judgment upon all sinners, of whom they and we here at Grace Fellowship are included. So, my friends, please hear what Jesus is saying here. When, when we look around us at our present disasters, we are to interpret these not as God's getting the bad guys and leaving the rest of us, but rather as unless we too repent, we will all likewise perish. And right now, friends, God has made this glaringly obvious. He has picked up a megaphone and is shouting, can't escape it. It's on every channel and on every website and in every conversation. Can you look or listen or go anywhere and not see and hear the terrifying effect of the coronavirus? Do do any of us dare to think that this is God's judgment on others? Jesus says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And on that day, friends, no mask will save us. No vaccine will spare us. Should we even call for the mountains themselves to crush our skulls? No respite will come. My friends, we are not worse sinners than anyone else, but we are sinners. And God's judgment on sin is altogether warranted. Now, let me let me pause here uh, to make an important theological clarification, lest I be misunderstood, or you guys come come away thinking that Jesus is saying something that he is not. This passage is absolutely clear that sin leads to suffering, and that suffering is a sign of God's imminent, warranted judgment on sin. That's absolutely true. But this passage is not saying that specific sin 
leads to specific suffering. Now, that can be the case. For example, if you drink and drive and thereby ruin your life or the lives of others, then yes, that specific sin led to specific suffering. But we must absolutely not assume that because one of us gets COVID-19 and another doesn't, that the one infected is receiving judgment for specific sins they've committed. Jesus does not give us that option here. Instead, he asks, do you think that they are worse sinners than all the others who are not infected? And the answer is absolutely not. So friends, specific sin does not necessarily lead to specific suffering, but we must still repent of our sin and we must turn away from sin and turn toward God, lest we all likewise face the wrath of one who is far more terrifying than COVID-19. So we, we see here that God's judgment is warranted. Yet Jesus has more to say on this. And so he tells a parable, starting in verse 6, of a fig tree that had failed to bear fruit. The master is ready to cut it down. Yet the vine dresser appeals, asking to give it one more year, one last chance to bear fruit. And the master mercifully and patiently agrees. Now the point here is clear, right? God's judgment is imminent, uh, sorry, imminent and warranted. But, but God is also exceedingly patient. He could have destroyed all those who failed to repent already, but he has decided to give them another year, one more chance to repent, one more opportunity to receive mercy. Now, let me make one more important clarification for us here. Parables are not metaphors. Okay, let me make the distinction here. Par parables are not metaphors, because in a metaphor, the goal is to correlate each piece of the metaphor to each other piece in reality. But in a parable, the goal is not to correlate all the pieces. No, a parable has a main point that we are to extract, and the details are not to be correlated to reality, but rather those details exist simply to support that main point. Okay, now this is not just an academic exercise. I'm making this distinction here because I've heard well-intentioned Christians say that in this metaphor, God the Father is the master and Jesus is the vine dresser. And if that were so, we'd conclude that the Father is angry and wants to destroy us, but his holy wrath is held at bay only by the mercy of Jesus, who is the kind vine dresser. But, friends, we'd better watch out, because Jesus' ability to restrain God's anger will soon come, into, come to an end. There's less than a year left. But please hear me, friends. That is altogether incorrect theology. Parables are not metaphors, and Jesus is not opposing the Father on our behalf. Rather, the famous verse of John 3.16 tells us that it was God, the Father, who so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten Son, Jesus, that we should not perish but have eternal life. That is, it was God's love that resulted in Jesus' coming, not Jesus' coming that resulted in God's love. Don't get that wrong, friends. One cannot believe that God is against us while one also seeks to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, my friends, God the Father is not watching you like a disapproving employer who is just waiting for you to slip up so that he can fire you. No, he is holding his arms out to you. And he has been holding them out for so very long. 
not growing angrier with each moment, but in every moment, motivating and pleading with you to come to him. As 2 Peter 3, 9 says, he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That is how we should hear, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish in this text. And God is a just judge, and he will come with an axe to chop down the unfruitful vine. But this parable here is meant to show you just how much he cares about each and every one of you individually, such that he shows this degree of patient mercy. And yet, the the final story in this section reminds us that there are some who will not repent and who will therefore not receive God's mercy. Beginning in verse 10, we saw a woman who for 18 years has had what Luke calls a disabling spirit. For 18 years, she has not been able to stand up straight. And Jesus's reaction to seeing her is instantaneous. He calls her over, he touches her, and she is immediately freed. She immediately stands up straight for the first time in 18 years. Can you imagine the joy of that moment? Can you imagine how life-changing that would be? Friends, I I, I can't look you in the faces right now. I wish I could. But I, I know that many of you here at Grace Fellowship Church have suffered for years and years with debilitating diseases. I know that you have cancer and immunodeficiency and Lyme's and allergies of all kinds and mental disabilities and depression and anxiety and organ failure and a whole slew of painful disabilities that they haven't even identified yet. Now just imagine that in an instant, Jesus healed you. You stood up straight. You felt healthy. You could think clearly. You could feel happy. You could live just as all those around you could live. You'd feel no more shame, no more alienation, no more limitations. And the text simply says, she glorified God. I bet she did. I bet she sung songs of praise so heartfelt and sincere that even King David himself would have grabbed some parchment and taken notes. Yet, the very next words in verse 14 say, but the ruler of the synagogue was indignant. Why? Because all of this happened on the Sabbath. And so he turns to the people there and he points at Jesus and at this woman who's standing up straight and he shouts over top of her praises saying, this ought not to have been done. The Sabbath is a holy day. It is not the time for healing. Now, now for the sake of time, I'm not going to walk us through all of what happens next. But let me simply ask you this. Do you see why judgment is warranted? That even in the face of awe-inspiring mercy, some will not have it. And they may even refuse that mercy while wholeheartedly declaring the holiness of God. Yes, my friends, God's 
judgment on such things is absolutely warranted. Yet even here in this text, we are reminded of the coming joy as well. Look at verse 17. As Jesus said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. And as a result of this rejoicing, Jesus shares our final section of text this morning. Let's look at the last few verses that we'll be studying, verses 18 through 21. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. As a result of all the people's rejoicing over him, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a tree and to leaven. He is saying that the kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed. And while one might ask, how can such a little thing make any difference at all? That tiny little vessel inevitably inevitably becomes a tree large enough to serve as a sturdy shelter for many birds. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom is like a tiny amount of leaven mixed into a whole bunch of flour. And while one might ask, how can such a little thing make any difference at all? That little bit of leaven has soon multiplied to the point that no portion of that flour has remained unaffected. And so, uh, as Jesus is looking around at all the people who are marveling at what he has done for the disabled woman in that last section, he's effectively now saying to them that though they may be few in number right now, one day the whole earth will be utterly filled with leavened disciples of Christ, and that the resulting spiritual tree will have life-sustaining branches extending in every direction. And All these worshipers have a role to play in making that happen. Jesus refers in verses 19 and 21 to the role of a man and a woman, each of whom are responsible not for the growth of the tree or the multiplication of the leaven, but for simply sowing the seed or inserting the leaven. And and this, friends, is the role of all who would praise the name of Jesus. This is the role of all who are seeking to bear fruit for the master of the vineyard. This is the role of all who have rightly interpreted the times, repented of their sin, and are reconciling with their accuser before it's too late. Listen, friends, you and I have very small but still very important roles in the growth of the kingdom. We sow tiny seeds. We hide tiny bits of leaven. These rolls themselves do not produce the desired result, but the result is achieved because the kingdom of God is coming. And so let me both encourage you and challenge you this morning based on these words of Christ. First, I want to encourage you. Because I've seen so many of you sowing seeds of the kingdom in people's lives. Just even during the past few months. You are, you are sowing these seeds. You are, you are inserting this leaven. And, and you are doing so through sharing God's word with others. You are doing so through faithfully 
praying for others. You are doing so through incredible, practical, and loving ways, whether that's getting groceries for elderly neighbors, or sending cards to the lonely, or inviting friends to attend even these semi-awkward Zoom church meetings when the video doesn't even work. And I have also caught many of you hiding these bits of leaven. Oh yeah, I'm on to you. (laughs) To everyone around you, it looks like you're just doing your job. You're simply working that flower just like everybody else is doing. But it sure seems like wherever you go, spiritual conversations seem to follow. The name of Jesus is strangely carried across your coworkers' home Wi-Fi networks. And prayers in his name are being whispered across the cellular voice lines of your coworkers. And maybe your employer doesn't notice or doesn't care. But the master sees you. And through you, he is growing the tree. He is leavening the lump. And he is delighted with the figs he is finding on your branches year after year after year. Let me encourage you, friends. Keep it up. Very, very well done, good and faithful servants. Now, let me also challenge you, and I mean you plural, all of us, because over the past months in particular, some of you, it seems, have stopped sowing seed. You've stopped hiding leaven. And perhaps over the past weeks or months, the owner of the vineyard has come, but then he's left again without any fruit. Now, friends, if that's you, please do not miss the point that Jesus is making today. The just, warranted judgment of God is imminent. He has been patient, but God's patience is meant to magnify mercy, not to excuse fruitlessness. And so let me challenge you, including myself, with two questions for us today. Number one, are you listening to God? That is, are you spending time in his word? Are you heeding his warnings, even as you rejoice in his promises? Friends, if you're truly listening, you should also expect to find yourselves among the crowd in today's text, saying that where it says all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. That is a result of the listening. And number two, here's another challenge for you. Are you bearing fruit for God? Ultimately, he is the one who grows the tree and multiplies the leaven. But this text is very clear that fruit is expected. And and fruit, friends, is certainly more than making converts to Christ. But it is not less. The vine in my yard was growing each and every year. But I didn't come looking for a large vine. I came looking for fruit. And because I found none, that vine is no more. We must take this call to fruitfulness seriously, friends. The master is expecting it. So are you praying for people to come to Christ? Specifically, individually. And are you working toward that end? If not, friends... This text is clear. Jesus is calling you to repent. 
And I myself have been convicted of this, even in studying this passage. And I'm, I'm certainly not one who has the, the, the spiritual gift of evangelism. I'm much more adept, I think, at roles like shepherding and administration, which is probably why I'm the executive pastor here at Grace Fellowship Church. But that does not excuse me. If I'm not regularly sowing seeds of the gospel, I must ask myself, do I really understand the gospel? And I need to repent if the answer is no. Friends, we must take that gospel and we must take our master very seriously. And that, that gospel, my friends, is that a people who are worthy of God's righteous judgment have nevertheless been spared and even loved. Not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus, who died the death we deserved and so offered us a perfect, unhindered relationship with our Father. There's there's a whole lot of flour out there that is desperately in need of that leaven, friends. And you and I are the people God has called to work it into this world. Because judgment is coming, but a Savior is available. Let's tell that to everyone we can. So let me pray for us. And then if God so allows it, we're going to try singing together of the hope we have in Christ. Let's pray. God, this text is uh, both scary because of the coming judgment and because the master is expecting to find fruit. Uh, But God, it's also hopeful because your kingdom is growing. And we know uh, that we do not need to be perfect because Jesus is. And God, we know that we will sow and sow and sow and sometimes nothing will come of it. And you are not looking for an excuse to banish us. You are being patient. You are offering us year after year after year of no fruit, but you want to see that fruit. So God, would you bear it in our lives? Even when we have to deal with things like social distancing and and neighbors who are feeling skittish about even talking to someone, and, uh, and God, even when video calls that we try to do don't work, we trust God that you will grow the fruit by our small efforts. It doesn't take much for us to leaven that lump, uh, God, by your grace. Would you cause us to do it? Would we bear fruit for your name? Would this church, your church, grow in size even in a pandemic? And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.